0: Places. Everyone.
1: We're now broadcasting. Roll the tape in. Three. Two. A new audio drama. Appaloosa Radio is where stories come alive. Souvenirs I Still Cherish Helen Stanbury's Story As Read by Lindsay Beth Hummel.
0: Chapter 2 Traveling Trip, we would begin in Abingdon, Virginia, where my father's mechanic was making certain that everything on the blue cord automobile was in perfect running condition. It gleamed in the sun and purred like a kitten. The original car had been a hard top coupe, but my father had the mechanics convert it into a retractable top convertible. The only mechanical trouble that we had on the trip was once when the new convertible top got stuck, but Ralph was able to rectify the situation by removing one bolt and replacing it with another. After his fix, it worked perfectly. We began in Abingdon and drove up the Shenandoah Valley to Charlottesville, where we toured the historic University of Virginia and Thomas Jefferson's home in Monticello. Our next stop was George Washington's home, Mount Vernon, then on to Washington, DC, Baltimore, Philadelphia, and the West Point Military Academy. Here's the full itinerary for the 1938 trip. One, University of Virginia, Thomas Jefferson's, Monticello. Two, George Washington's, Mount Vernon three, Washington, D.C., four, Baltimore, five, Philadelphia, six, West Point Military Academy, seven, Niagara Falls, eight, Ontario, Canada, nine, Detroit, 10, Chicago, 11, St. Louis, 12, Cheyenne Frontier Days Rodeo, 13, Salt Lake City, 14, Yellowstone National Park, 15, Glacier National Park. 16, Rexburg, Idaho, where the National Education Conference was held. 17, Seattle. 18, Portland. 19, San Francisco. 20, Monterey. 21, Yosemite. 22, Hollywood. 23, Catalina Island. 24, San Diego. 25, Grand Canyon. 26, Navajo Indian Country. 27, Taos, New Mexico. 28, Carlsberg Caverns. 29, Juarez, Mexico, 30, Dallas, 31, Houston, 32, New Orleans, 33, St. Augustine, Florida, 34, Savannah, Georgia, 35, Augusta National Golf Course, 36, Outer Banks, North Carolina. We avoided New York City because the World's Fair had been scheduled for the next year, 1939, and I wanted to do it. Unfortunately, my driver, Ralph, was injured in a motorcycle accident, and we could not go. Missing New York City was an even bigger disappointment for my senior, Mr. Eggers. He wanted to see the New York Yankees play baseball. The only thing Yankee that I would pay to go see, he mumbled more than once. For me, the trip was not just an opportunity to see places that I had always wanted. It was also a chance to acquire souvenirs, real artifacts from each place that my students could see and touch. I was not interested in the usual tourist souvenirs. I wanted artifacts that felt genuine, that it had a demonstrable connection to the places we visited. My shopping excursions bored both Ralph and Mr. Eggers. Ralph was not one to wait patiently. He wanted to go, to move, to be quickly onto new things. I was a careful shopper who critically viewed all the attributes of each potential item. Sometimes I would leave one store, go to a second or a third, and then return to the first for my final purchase. And that kind of shopping drove Ralph crazy. Mr. Eggers, on the other hand, became tired of my shopping for another reason. He seldom would go inside the store with me. He would often wait outside on a bench. Or if there were no benches, on whatever there was available to sit on. A wooden fence, a rock, or the car's bumper. Within a few minutes, he would be extremely uncomfortable. His hips and knees ached, and the sun and humidity bothered him. Still, he would not move from his post. He held onto the money box, guarding it from potential thieves. Because he was holding the money box, he avoided being social, and that was hard for him to do. He thrived on telling his stories. He could have given me some money and then returned to the car where the seats were comfortably softer, but he wouldn't. So he sat miserably waiting for me to finish my critical inspections of the merchandise in store after store after store. On the second night of our trip, I learned that Mr. Eggers was a whiskey drinker. Only the highest quality sour mash would do, For some reason, he'd forgotten to bring his supply in his suitcase. We were staying at a motor lodge on Jeff Davis Highway a few miles outside Alexandria. Of course, I had my own private room, and the two gentlemen shared a room together. It was just after supper, on a Sunday evening, that Mr. Eggers asked Ralph to drive him to the nearest state alcohol beverage store. Like most southern states, the state of Virginia operated all the liquor stores. And also, like most southern states, the liquor stores were closed on Sundays. Nonetheless, they began a quest to find a source of whiskey for Mr. Eggers. They cruised Alexandria, Arlington, Vienna, and Reston looking for a source, but to no avail. Finally, nearing desperation, they crossed the Potomac into Washington, D.C. itself, where after some searching, they found an open liquor store selling a brand that Mr. Eggers approved. While they were inside making the purchase, onlookers gathered around the cord. The car had often been featured in the newsreels, but to see a real one was a rare event, the sidewalk filled with appreciative onlookers. However, When Ralph Norris came out of the liquor store and saw the crowd, he assumed that someone was seeking to either steal the car or the parts from it. He told Mr. Eggers to hand him the gun. Mr. Eggers didn't feel any sense of alarm. Now that his whiskey had been procured, he was mellow, waiting for the opportunity to enjoy a glass before bed. Instead of handing Ralph the gun, he walked over to the crowd and started talking to the onlookers. "'Sure is a beauty,' he said to one. "'Wish I had the money to get one.' Why, I believe that someone would drive all over the country in a car like that, roofed down, just enjoying the sunlight and the wind. Ralph was taken aback. What is this old man doing? These are criminals caught in a criminal act. But Mr. Eggers was not finished with his performance. He now had an audience, and this was an opportunity to bring some needed levity to the evening. He moved to the car's passenger door and slowly opened it. I wonder, just wonder, what it would be like to sit in a car like this. Those seats looked like Moroccan leather, so soft, so warm. Then, to the gasp of the crowd, he got into the car, shut its door. He sat there for a moment, pretending to be a senile old man, inspecting the interior of a luxury car he did not own. Finally, he could hold it in no more. He started laughing loudly. "'Oh, Mr. Norris, sir, would you be so kind as to start this fine automobile and permit the kind folks a chance to hear its wonderful motor?' Ralph still did not understand what Eggers was doing, but he complied and started the engine. Now, sir, would you be also so kind as to drive us back to our accommodations where I can enjoy a glass of this fine whiskey that I've just purchased? Ralph began to drive the car slowly away. As he did, Eggers laughed loudly and waved. Back at the hotel, both enjoyed a glass of the fine whiskey. After his second glass, Ralph began to see the humor in this situation. After his third, he found the situation incredibly funny. He couldn't stop laughing. Mr. Eggers, for his part, finished one glass, smoked a cigar, and went to bed. Unfortunately, Ralph Norris was not a whiskey drinker. The next morning, when I appeared at their room for a day of sightseeing, Ralph was hanging his head over the toilet, regurgitating his stomach's contents. I realized that Ralph was in no condition to be driving. Instead, today, it would be my responsibility. However, I made it clear in no uncertain terms that if Ralph drank another drop of alcohol on this trip, I would send him home in a box, COD, cash on delivery. Nonetheless, I would have loved to see the looks of the bystanders faces when this senile old man got into a car that was not his. Our trip took 93 days and covered about 8,600 miles. Our longest travel day covered 217 miles. However, most days we only covered 100 miles or so. On America's east coast there is so much that one can see with a trip of less than 100 miles. On America's vast plains and on its west coast, places are much further apart so traveling 100 miles does not always lead to an interesting destination. On my father's explicit instructions, we purchased new tires in Detroit and then again in Dallas. I'm pleased to say that we never had a flat or blowout. We had the car's oil changed about every 1,000 miles and made sure that all the crucial parts were well lubricated. As I said, the cord ran perfectly, not one mechanical problem. Mr. Eggers, who kept both our money and our travel receipts, reported that we purchased 477 gallons of gasoline. And for the trip, the total of all our gasoline purchases was $96.12. The lowest cost for gasoline was in Texas, east of Houston, where we paid 11 cents a gallon for gasoline. The most expensive was in Ontario, Canada, where we paid the equivalent of 27 cents per gallon. For the whole trip, I think that works out to about 18 cents a gallon for gasoline. As I have shared, for me, the souvenirs were as important as the tours and visits. They were a tangible way that my students could use to connect with the world beyond the mountains. During the trip, I purchased 47 souvenirs, all of which I still cherish. I kept them in glass-fronted cabinets that I had constructed in my bedroom. I purchased each with special care, seeking items that are directly relevant to the places we visited and the people who inhabited those places. My very first souvenir was an inkwell and a genuine quill pen that I purchased at Jefferson's home Monticello. I chose a silver plate version because I felt that would be more authentic to the president and his times. It cost me $3.50. Ralph noticed they had similar sets with a much lower price. There was a very nice one for $1.25. He felt like I was being ripped off by purchasing the more expensive set. While I appreciated Ralph's concern, I never felt that a price was the primary issue. I wanted it to feel real. Real to the times and real to the place. In Jefferson's office, I had noticed that the inkwell on his desk was silver. Knowing that meant I could not accept anything else. The only time I followed Ralph's advice was in Washington, D.C., where I bought less expensive models of the important monuments and buildings. These were buildings created to honor the presidents. There was no actual history associated with any of them. I opted for the most complete models made of the least breakable material. My most expensive souvenir was a brass spyglass the dealer said had been used both during the Revolutionary War and the Civil War. He had some historical papers to attest to its authenticity. I paid $54 for it. One of my souvenirs had actual contemporary historical value. It was a panoramic photograph of the cadets on parade that I purchased at the West Point Military Academy, I've done some research on the cadets in my picture and have identified at least eight cadets that became generals in either the Air Force or the Army. So far, I've identified William Westmoreland, Robert Stillman, Chester Clinton, Benjamin O. Douglas, Richard Fellows, John Samuel, Donald Bennett, and Frank Aseni, quite a collection for only $2. At the rodeo in Cheyenne, Wyoming, I was able to meet Tom Mix, the cowboy movie star, and he gave me one of the bullets from his famous six gun. I also met William S. Hart, the now-retired movie actor from the silent era. He was being honored as the rodeo's grand marshal. The rodeo sold autographed pictures of Mr. Hart, but I decided that I would rather have Ralph take photographs of the movie star and meet. Unfortunately, those photos were on a roll of film that was destroyed during its processing. My very last souvenir cost me nothing. It was a large horseshoe crab that had washed up on the beach. I did not know at the time that the souvenir would become my student's favorite. After the war, when many of my students were able to leave the mountains and acquire better paying jobs, they would send notes back to me, many with the photos of the horseshoe crabs that they had found during their own explorations on the beach. No one ever sent me a photo of a silver inkwell that they had found while touring Monticello, so maybe, just maybe, Ralph had been right.
1: You're my sunshine and rain, you're my joy and my pain, No, oh, yes you are my darling but it's hard to explain, you're the kind of a gal that a man can't corral, yes you're seven women in one. How I wish that you'd stay just the same every day. Oh, yes, I do, my darling, not too sad or too gay. But I know if you do, I'll grow tired of you. You're my seven women in one. sunshine and rain you're my joy and my pain oh yes you are my darling but it's hard to explain you're the kind of a gal that a man can yes you're seven women in one a pelusa springs audio theater is a creative collaboration whose purpose is to write produce and share original story content through webcast radio experiences